Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to Lag Radio here with me, your host, Mama the Midboss. So we just got done listening to a three-song set of some really wonderful electronic tracks. Most recently was a couple of chiptune tracks from Halloween, a chiptunes equals win compilation came out a while back. Most recently, we listened to Aqualex with the Candy Corn Witch, and before that one was very, very appropriate for tonight's episode of Lag Radio. We listened to Them Not You with the song Room 237. All the way at the top of the set was a brand new one from Ansonics. The song is called Serenity. It's a single that was just dropped today, in fact. So go and feel free to check that out. It is available for as low as free on Bandcamp.com. So, yep, go and support him there. All right, so without further ado, we're going to be talking about Silent Hill 4 this evening. We are going to get in our special guest, Alex, a little bit later on so we can get his opinions and thoughts on the game as well. But for now, we're going to cover some of the history and development of this wonderful title. Now, if you do not know the Silent Hill series, it is very well known for being a psychological horror, survival horror game. It has had a number of entries over the years. It's even had two movies released with the same title. So it's actually fairly well known. Maybe not quite the Resident Evil side of things, but it is kind of the other side of the same coin when it comes to survival horror and uh, and where it all kind of came from. So... First off, the game was developed by Team Silent, and that same team developed all four of the original Silent Hill games, the four titled ones, or uh, what's it called, numbered ones, right? So after that, they started coming out with other Silent Hills with different subtitles, stuff like Homecoming, Shattered Memories, I think is one of them. All that stuff done by different teams. Team Silent is the one that did the first four, and it consisted of a bunch of employees from Konami who didn't really succeed at a whole lot of other projects at the company. They weren't working so well with their teams, or maybe they just weren't feeling whatever projects they were working on. So they all had the intention of just leaving at some point. They had the intention of just ditching the company. And so they gathered up all those people and they said, all right, you're going to be part of this new team. We're going to try and make a new IP, uh, new intellectual property called Silent Hill. And so, yeah, they, they made the first Silent Hill for, I believe, the PlayStation 1. And it was quite a success, in fact, for being very different from the Resident Evils and, and such. So the, sex, the success of the first game really led the te- to the team creating three total sequels. Now, after those three sequels, we got the Silent Hills from Western Studios because the heads of Konami, for whatever reason that is, I don't know, they, they have made some questionable decisions in the past few years especially, very much alienating their fans with regards to their treatment of the Metal Gear Solid series, but that's beside. That's another episode. They wanted Western groups to develop future games in the Silent Hill franchise, and so the team was disbanded after Silent Hill 4. And this is one of the reasons why a lot of people consider the first four Silent Hill games to be the ones worth playing or worth the legacy and the recognition of the Silent Hill name. Now, some of the members of the team post-Silent Hill 4 went on to help with the Siren series, which was actually created by the director of the original Silent Hill game. He split off from the team after the first one and wanted to kind of do his own thing, make a a new IP of his own. So, yeah, Siren is another one that you can check out as well. Now, the game Silent Hill 4 takes influences from a whole host of different other media, but some of them that have been cited by the directors and the uh, producers and all that are movies like The Cell, movies like Jacob's Ladder, books like Rosemary's Baby, but most prominently they cite a particular book that was written by a Japanese author. An author his name is Ryo Murakami. Not There's another very famous Japanese author called Haruki Murakami, so not the same person, 
but there was a book by Ryo Murakami, and the song, or the, the song, <laughs> the uh, book was called Coin Locker Babies. It is about exactly what it kind of sounds like. It's about a, a baby that is found inside of a coin locker. I myself have not read this book. I imagine it's probably very graphically detailed and uh, perhaps very horrific, so can't say whether or not it's worth reading, but uh, that is one of the big influences for this one. Now, interestingly, Silent Hill 4 was also developed alongside Silent Hill 3. So after the release of Silent Hill 2, which was a big hit, still considered to be one of the best horror games ever made, uh, the teams, I guess they split their efforts somehow, and they were able to develop 3 and 4 at the same time. Now, 3 was the one that was going to continue on, keep the kind of Silent Hill uh, legacy feel in some ways by placing the game inside of Silent Hill itself, the town, Silent Hill, of which the game is named after, but Silent Hill 4 is subtitled The Room. It's the only one of the four games that has this little um, subtitle. So the reason why they did that is because they wanted Silent Hill 4 to be something else. They didn't want to keep making the same game over and over again. You've got this open town. It's covered in fog. Uh, there's a lot of scary monsters in there. You have to figure out why it is that you you know, ended up there or who brought you there and why is it all crazy and scary there. No, they wanted to do something else. So, in fact, they wanted to kind of portray that through the name as well. So the room is, yeah, just kind of like a way for them to, to get that across. Now, it was originally not intended to even be a Silent Hill game. It was originally intended to be something totally different. But due to the changes of the Silent Hill formula and the working title of the game, which was Room 302, which refers to the apartment that the protagonist resides in and just so happens to also be locked in, but we will touch on that a little bit later. But yeah, for those reasons, they decided, you know what, we can probably spin it into a Silent Hill game, just kind of market it differently, is all. The reason why they decided to lock the main character in his apartment was actually interesting. Um, it's not uncommon for a lot of games to use your you know, a certain area of the of the game as your home base. So think like Dark Souls, you go back to kind of your home uh, bonfire of sorts, right? You go to any sort of tactics-based game. There's a lot of the times there's some sort of citadel or some kind of place of respite, respite, respite? I don't know, respite, I think it is, where you can just kind of take a breather, you can formulate your strategies, get yourself all equipped up or de-equipped or change equipment, the you know, get healed up, all that stuff. So they wanted to to kind of flip that because that sort of home base area, that whole, whole home base aspect, that tends to give you this kind of safe place, right, where you can take a breather, save your game. But they wanted to make that area into a dangerous space. Instead, they wanted to flip the idea and turn that titular room uh, uh, as a safe place and turn it into a danger zone. They wanted to make it feel like you are not okay, even if this area does have a place to save your game. And this is why certain parts of the game, you start to see that the room itself changes over time. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in the story section of the show. Now, every time you journey into the other world, which is uh, basically just this hellish zone, this is the only way that you leave the apartment ever, right? So uh, we'll talk again also about this in the story, but in, in the game, like I mentioned, you are locked as the Henry character you are locked inside of this room but the only way out sometimes is through this hole in your bathroom that leads you to another world and 
it's it's crazy stuff. It is is super interesting because when you are in the other world, you've got this third person perspective, kind of like your typical um, your typical Silent Hill game or your Resident Evil game. You're looking at your character from the top down or from a certain angle. Usually, your camera you could imagine is placed somewhere near the ceiling. Instead, what they did also is when you were in your apartment, you actually have a first-person perspective. And they wanted to use that because they wanted to imbue a sense of claustrophobia when you're in the apartment and make it more personal. You know, uh, uh, as it repeatedly says when you examine the item in your bedroom, it says, this is my bed. And that's all that it ever says when you try and examine your bed. It says, this is my bed. This is my bed. And so it kind of, at least to me, that kind of sparked, okay, they want this to come across as, your room, your apartment, this is your safe space, and uh, also you really want to exit sometimes because the ceiling is not that high and you can't see too well outside of some of those windows. Now, they wanted to also make the game have a sense of exploration and a sense of mystery so that those who examine everything, you know, looking out a window, looking out a peephole, those are the people who are going to get the full story. A lot of the times these things, they aren't mandatory for you to go through the game and there's no sort of like scripted scenes uh, a lot of the time when it comes to these. So really it's up to you if you want to learn a little bit more about the background. But that's, again, only if you want. I like that. I like having that freedom and that, that choice. Certainly some people want to just speed run the game. Interesting for me at least was seeing some playthroughs and such of the game versus my own experiences playing. And I saw a person get through about to the point where I was at the time. And it took them maybe two hours but for me on my end it took me six hours and that's for a couple of reasons first off because of the lore and how it's presented everywhere in these little tidbits little scraps of paper you find around uh the world the other world as well as in your apartment but also because the game is just so damn scary sometimes that i need to just stop for a moment and take a breather honestly and uh, yeah, so it, it took me a lot longer to get to a, a point than, than other people. Certainly if I was just running through the game, you know, blasting it, trying to just avoid all the enemies, not even try and kill anything, and have been fearless, then I probably could have gotten that far as well very quickly. Now, another thing is that they wanted to imbue this fear of the abnormal, stuff that has a hint of familiarity, but also still feels out of the ordinary, such that it produces a lingering feeling of fear and not just a jump scare, right? So I think a lot of the time, one of the, well, at least one of the the key moments in horror history, I think, was that Resident Evil part of the original game where a dog jumps out at you from, I think it's a window inside of an apartment complex. Like you're almost all the way through this apartment complex. You keep making the same turns a lot of the times down these hallways and everything looks the same. Nothing happens. You keep expecting something. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. And suddenly, boom, this dog bursts through and it just murders you, right? It's just, wow, this is crazy scary. But with regards to Silent Hill, at least in the fourth one, they wanted it to be more of just this this impending sense of doom. You hear sounds and and you know something is around the corner or something is is coming after you. And it's not just this this sort of jump at you out of nowhere. Now, related to that, they wanted to also imbue a fear of being hunted. So where you aren't really sure what it is that's chasing you, right? the sounds are kind of all over the place. We'll talk about the sound mixing later as well and, and the production, but they wanted to to imbue the sense of something is chasing you, but it's it's there, and you want, you need, really, to get away from this thing. 
it gives you that vibe, absolutely. During certain sections, we are going from room to room, like in a prison area, and you go through one of the cells, you exit, you go a little bit to the right, and you enter another cell, and you hear, if, you, if you're wearing headphones in particular, you hear in the left or right, wherever you came from, whichever direction, you hear in just that ear a door open up, and you hear footsteps, and you hear other signs of movement, and it's just, it's brilliantly done to try and get you to feel like there is something coming after you. You've got to hurry out of that cell and just ditch. It is very, very effective in that regard. So that's going to be it for the development section of the game. We're going to be talking a lot about the story, going to try and get through as much as we can shortly. We're also going to be talking about the soundtrack and gameplay and, of course, our closing thoughts for the second hour of the show. If you want to call in later on, 949-824-5824, 949-UCI-KUCI is the number. We're going to be doing that giveaway, so when I tell you to, just call that number, and if you're the first person to call in, you will win a Super Pyramid Head shirt or a sticker, whichever one you prefer, whichever size you prefer, color you prefer, you got it. So feel free to check out the Facebook to see what those look like, facebook.com slash radio. Also, our other social media outlets, Twitter.com slash radio is one of them. Instagram is at DJ double underscore Marmar. Our playlist page is lagliferadio.wordpress.com. And we have a Twitch as well on Sundays and Wednesdays. You can visit me from 8 p.m. to typically around 10 o'clock at night, Pacific Standard Time. That is twitch.tv slash DJ underscore single underscore Marmar. All right, without further ado, we're going to start listening to some of the music from this soundtrack, this absolutely gorgeous soundtrack. I have so much I want to say about the soundtrack later, so, ugh, so excited. We're going to listen first to one of the first tracks, I think, off of the album, and one that really encapsulates some of the feel of the game. It is, as most or all of the songs in the soundtrack are, by Akira Yamaoka. We're going to be listening to one featuring a vocalist named Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. She's very well known. We'll talk about that too. The song is called Tender Sugar. Again, Silent Hill 4 this evening on Lag Radio. Thank you for listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Lag Radio here with me, Marma the Bid Boss. We're joined in the studio this evening from our longtime friend and compatriot. What's up? You, you've been doing this for so long. You said that so fast. It sounded like you said Marmar the Big Boss. I'm like, oh, you played <laughs> Metal Gear Solid now? Or we, <laughs> yeah, I got promoted. Boss? Yeah, I'm no longer the Mid Boss. <laughs> now I'm the Big Boss. Uh, yeah, we're joined by Alex of Palette Swapped. You can listen to his show on Tuesday nights. I can't remember the last episode I was uh, here for. Was oh, it? Jeez. Uh, wasn't Earthbound? Was it Earthbound though? Maybe it was. That was means. I think it was. Yeah, it's, it's been like a month and a half. Yeah. Dang. Well, welcome sense. back. Welcome yeah. back. So we're talking Silent Hill for the Room this evening, which is our start to Spooktober month, where we're going to be covering a different type of horror game every single week. We've already discussed the history and development about Team Silent and how they were the end of the pretty much good Silent Hill games, I think a lot of people would say. Now we're going to discuss the story. Now, first off, Alex, your understanding of the game comes to us not from necessarily a you-played-it-yourself sort of perspective, right? Mm-mm. The okay. only one I own is Silent Hill 1 for PlayStation, which I bought on eBay like a decade ago. So I wasn't even like, I knew of the Silent Hill series, but I never really got into it. Um, not by choice, but just I never had like, oh, I should go back and play those games. Um, I've always wanted to, like Silent Hill 2 and 3 and stuff. Um, so this is a good reason for me to. Um, I didn't I didn't have time to purchase it and then have it shipped to me and play it and everything. Sure. So I had to uh, 
I had to watch uh, someone play through it. Luckily, with no commentary, so it was it was just a lot of. I got the gist of it. Good. So that's my perspective. It's kind of like the perspective of uh, of uh, Brandon on the um, uh, Gone Ops? Home. I think he did Gone Home. I think he played through, or maybe he did. Oh yeah, yeah, I oh one of those two. But yeah, Spec Ops or yeah, Spec Ops. That was the one. Yeah. So he, I got that perspective. Okay, that still works. I mean, I'm sure that you got the gist of the story. So we're gonna discuss it. All right. So first off. The start of the game. You awaken in your room. You got this first-person style format like we talked about. They wanted to experiment with Silent Hill 4 and do more first-person rather than just the third person. Your eyes are all blurry. You wake up in the South Ashfield Apartments, in particular in room 302. And it starts off with this little kind of expositionary piece where it says that ever since you started having nightmares about five nights prior, you found that the apartment in the power in your apartment has been turned off pretty much. Although I guess the lights do start to work, but something about, yeah, some of the other power just isn't really working so well. Your phone line's been cut. Some objects, like a TV, exist where other items of yours used to be. Like it mentions there was a record player, he thought, or something. Interesting. I didn't know that that TV wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. Stuff is just different. Uh, And most importantly, though, you're locked. You're locked inside this apartment. Pretty literally. It's not just like the door's locked. It is, like, chained. Yes, yeah. There's Pad this locks and chains. bevy of chains and locks. It's like a web. There, you were like, not getting it. Out. Looks like yeah. It looks like a, a version of saw or something. Where it's just like there's tons of chains and padlocks, and you're not getting out of that place essentially. Oh no! And the windows are also locked, and you can knock as hard as you want. You can scream as loud as you want. Nothing is coming at you. Nothing yeah, you can look through you. the peephole, and and no matter what you say, no one hears you. So it's almost like you're in another dimension. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy stuff. I think some people were saying it. It's kind of references the what's it called house of leaves do you know that book no it's a very it's a pretty well-known it's very experimental in the way that it delivers its story it's what's the genre it's like a it's like horse i wouldn't say sci-fi but it's it's a weird off-kilter sort of book i want to read that that sounds very interesting read it and read it physical you can't do this like digital wait okay yeah it's like mark something danielski or something like that i don't know we'll, we'll talk about yeah it. we'll talk about it off here <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so it's it's this kind of non-euclidean space where you're just trapped in this alternate kind of dimension it almost feels like and uh yeah inside of your apartment you find that there is a hole in the bathroom a small little hole with which you can, you can probably crawl through and since you have no other way of getting outside of the apartment you see this and you're like well what the hell give it a try yeah what the hell Perhaps even literally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that's that's foreshadowing. <laughs> unfortunately, in the beginning, uh, at least the first time you crawl through, it leads you to this strange subway world where everything is just horrific. There's just metallic stuff everywhere. Well, yeah, and even before that, your apartment, he mentions that it's, everything's all rusty. So yeah. It's, it's, yeah, something's going on in here. And so when you go through the pole, you see that it looks even nastier, rusty and, and bloody, and yeah, something's off about it. Yeah, it just looks terrible and gross and and very yeah not human or welcoming at all there's rust everywhere there's possibly blood possibly maybe both i don't know so when you crawl through the the space you're taking this really long escalator down and you start to explore at the bottom of it you do come across a woman named cynthia and she seems to think that the world that you guys are in right now this strange horrific world is her dream and you just happen to be in it you're one of her her dream peoples now, you escort her around at this point in the game, and you try and lead her, hopefully, to find a way out. 
she needs to use the restroom really quickly. She kind of gets ill, I think. She starts to feel nauseous. Yeah, yeah. And while she runs into the women's restroom, out of the men's restroom come a well, first off, there's a dog that's just like, but it's not a dog. That's the thing. Yeah, it looks like a dog, but then it like it's using its tongue as a tube to suck the blood of another dog or something. It's just like, yeah. Yeah, pair of dogs that are just like eating the other one kind of in a way, and they have this crazy sounds that are coming out of their out of their mouths like they're groans and squeals, but also like yeah. hissing. It's I don't know. It's it's crazy and inhuman. Definitely. Yeah. So you found previously uh, kind of this rusty steel pipe. And at this point, you just fend them off as best you can. You smash them to the ground and you don't extinguish their lives until you smash them with a boot. There's no way all of the enemies in the game, except for the ghosts, the way that you permanently kill them is by stomping on them. And if you don't, they just rise right back up again. I thought there was another game that we had played on your show that did that. Was that Spec Ops that did that? I thought there was some other game that you have like you have to like you can kill them, but they won't die until you like stomp them. Hmm. But I don't know if it was a game I played here or another game I played, and it's just that reminded me of that where it's like you like you can kill them and stuff, but you have to like do a finishing blow. Hmm. I can't recall. I know yeah. that that's of course a, a big part of Gears of War, right? The curb stomp. Well, then that would may probably probably be Spec Ops then, because Spec Ops the line was was very similar to. Uh, Could be. I don't know. I'm just getting that 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 I got that feeling when I was when it's all the finishing blows where it's like, yeah, you need to you need to extinguish them. Or maybe I'm thinking maybe Silent Hill has always done that. Since the I, I think it could be, yeah. I think it's been a Silent Hill thing. I'll have to look over the episodes again and try and jog my memory. But in the meantime, so uh, yeah, so you take out these these dogs with your boot, and so begins this basically this I don't want to say formula, but this back and forth trek. You're going into the hell world. You're leading some sort of person around, or not leading necessarily, but you're going into it. You're meeting some sort of person in it in a different environment. Each one of these different hell worlds ends with that normal person that you meet there being killed in some strange and scary and, and having horrible a, way. having a number inscribed on their back right yeah it's, the it's kind of increasing in a strange way because i think the first one you see is um one 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 two and then or one one two one no it's one i think it's one six one six one two one and you're like okay and then it's one seven one two one so it's increasing but in a different kind of denomination which you'll soon figure out what means but yeah, a lot of the the like progression of the game is you get pieces of information as you go into these holes that are real relevant to the like the story, and come back out and yeah. Yeah, when you come back to your apartment, sometimes you're greeted with a whole host of different scary things. Usually, to because your apartment's you haunted essentially, so you're just you have to deal with these these things that are happening and your unexplained things. Yep. Sometimes you're going to find a TV, the TV that we mentioned before. Suddenly it's turned itself on to, of course, just straight static white noise. Other times you find a knock at the door, people trying to actually reach out to you and communicate with you, uh, of course, unsuccessfully. Other times you'll see little uh, cards stuck under the, the door as well, which is very important to the story. Yeah, yeah. Again, like I mentioned earlier, those things aren't mandatory. You don't not pass the game if you don't read them, but they help a lot with understanding the story and understanding... Uh, yeah, what what some of the lore is. So once you find, or actually a lot, maybe like four or five times, I think, at the beginning of the game, you do find a radio that turns on and it broadcasts to you about a recent murder. And it says that this murder is eerily similar to the ways that you just found the bodies in the hell world. So, for example, uh, we talked about Cynthia. She is found in a subway station, killed in exactly the same way that you found her murdered. Now, 
Also, going back to the topic of your apartment, at one point you also discover a peephole that connects you to the apartment next door. It's kind of like just this really gross gray blob hole thing, and it only allows you to peer in with one eye, but you're able to see next door the... Uh, yeah, I was wondering about that. Yeah. I, I couldn't really make that out, what that was. But it's just like a like a growth on the side of the wall or something? Seems kind of that way, yeah. yeah. I'm almost made of, uh, I don't know, like paper mache. Yeah. yeah. It's weird looking, yeah. And so you see this very attractive woman next door named Eileen, who is your neighbor, and she doesn't really seem to have too much of a connection with you for the most part, she just I think you just kind of know each other. But in the course of the game, from time to time, you can be voyeuristic. You can watch her reading books. You can watch her pacing around the room. But there's also this really scary rabbit dude, this, like... Stuffed animal. Stuffed animal, yeah, that's facing away from you. You can see kind of part of its the side of its face. Uh, this was also in Silent Hill 3, though. This was this uh, rabbit mascot character that... You would see walking around an amusement park and there's like blood coming out of its mouth and it just looks creepy. So, yeah, for kind of a throwback to Silent Hill there a little bit. But also, yeah, you keep seeing this bunny guy and eventually maybe he moves. I don't know. Just keep an eye on him. Yeah. (laughs) So after the subway world with Cynthia, you find a mysterious plate near her body that's inscribed with the word temptation. Who knows what that means? But then you go into the hole again and you visit the forest world which is a more outdoor area, you know, you're not you're not obviously encased inside of a subway station anymore. There's more fog, which is of course very similar to the town that the na- game is named after. Now it turns out that you are indeed on the outskirts of Silent Hill, the town itself, at an orf- orphanage called the Silent Hill Smile Support Society Wish House. So four S's, Silent Hill Smile Support Society Wish House. Hmm. And it's a it's an orphanage. It's an orphanage for kids. But, of course, as usual, in Silent Hill, there's more to it than meets the eye. So It wouldn't be that pleasant. No, no, no. Of course <laughs> not. Yeah, it's definitely not. You learn through different, like, uh, diaries and stuff like that that it is not an orphanage and it is actually a cult. It is a cult, yes. I mean, there are children there, but the cultists are the ones that run it and are indoctrinating the, the people into their their religious order. So it's here that you also find a boy in the woods and a man named Jasper. The boy runs away from you immediately. But when you think you've caught up to him, possibly, you find Jasper being set on fire and screaming. This is the stuttering guy? Yeah, yeah, he was stuttering, I believe. Yeah, he first talks about this this uh, stone, I think, that he's behind. and Yeah. And he kind of helps you out, and you have to feed him some chocolate milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you give him chocolate. What the heck? What was that about? <laughs> yeah, he's thirsty. He's, he's a thirsty guy. <laughs> and he gives you his, uh, his spade once he gets uh, once you get that. So a lot of the yeah. game is, is like fetch quests, um, like we said, kind of puzzle Actually, I don't know if we said this on the air. Uh, it's like a puzzle <laughs> horror uh, survival right. where you're just like finding different things to bring to different people or finding information um, to like fill in the blanks or, or, you know, number puzzles or keys and stuff like that. So, yeah, you end up getting what was you end up getting with the spade? Um, up something. Oh, what did you dig up? You dig up because there were these hands coming out of the ground that were like. Well, roots. yeah, he says it looks like hands, but they are roots, and yeah. so it still looks like hands. But yeah, for sure. Um, something that opens up the orphanage, I think, because you're not okay, able to enter. Yeah. I think it must have been a key. The key, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so you go through the forest world as the second part. Now we're going to take a break and listen to some of that beautiful music before we go and discuss some more. So. Let's listen to The Last Mariachi, which is the song that's on the title screen of the game. Very weird off-kilter. It makes me feel kind of odd. 
but a pretty short one. Sounds and then we're effective. Gonna, yeah, very effective. Very true. And then we're going to listen to Melancholy Requiem, of course, both by Akira Yamaoka. Again, thank you so much for listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine. This is Lag Radio here with Marmar the Midboss and Alex. All right, everyone, welcome back to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Marmar and the Midboss here with Alex, and we are Lag Radio. We're discussing Silent Hill for the Room for our first of the spooktober-tacular games. Uh, yeah, so we're talking about the story right now. We're going to try and blaze through it because there's a whole lot that we need to cover besides just the story. So we talked about the forest world. After that, we visit the water prison world, which is just like, what it sounds pretty much it's a prison in the middle of the ocean or something or a lake something like that was what it seems like to me is that the circular one like the yeah, yeah. there's like a tower creepy. and they have like these the rooms that rotate just so they could like have dispose of dead bodies in them it's pretty it's pretty yeah great. yeah it, it, the way that i mean they're disposing it not just by like throwing it into the ocean or anything but they're dropping it to the kitchen where they make the meals oh that's out. right <laughs> yeah it's special it's good stuff so good after that is the building world which is just this giant mess of like urban shops and fire escapes and these weirdo elevators and they're all kind of mc escher-esque they're all over the place uh the resident that you meet there is robert who happens to live in the same apartment complex as you but uh yeah he dies just as easily as all the other ones do pretty much and he's this time he's electrocuted though in a shock chair Mm. and uh there's this boy who from the forest that we first found he's kind of keeps visiting all the yeah he's visiting this crime scene so we start to wonder like is the boy doing it what is he well apparently his name is walter sullivan and uh yeah that's what you're hearing through a lot of the news reports of just like the walter sullivan murders and um like whenever you hear him it's like it's very similar to the murders but we can't really say because he's dead so we don't know how these murders are still happening and yeah, exactly. And this is a little kid. Like, how is he doing this? Yeah. Like, trapping, strapping a, a full-grown man to an electric chair. I don't know. But, so moving along. And why, too. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. So, next up, we go to the apartment world, which is, uh, as always, a very horrific version of something. In this case, it's your actual apartment building. And so, this is where you learn a lot of the lore. So, you learn that there was a journalist named Joseph who lived in the exact room that you live in, room 302, he was investigating a series of murders that Alex just mentioned was related to Walter Sullivan, who happened to be a part of a cult that ran the Silent Hill Orphanage, and that cult, known as the Order, ran a lot of other parts of Silent Hill. Now, apparently, he was a serial killer, and the numbers that were inscribed in his victims referred to the number of the victim out of 21 murders that he was seeking to commit. So that's why we had the number before uh, we said what? We said one, 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 si- one, six, one. Two one right, so it was sixteen. The middle one happens to be like a like a slash mark, mm-hmm. so it would have been sixteen slash twenty one. So sixteen out of twenty one. Yeah, but reason why twenty one though? I don't know. We just are not sure at this point. But uh, hospital world comes after this little bit of lore. We visit the hospital because uh, we have witnessed at the end of the apartment world. We see our neighbor Eileen die. She is the one who dies. She's like lying in a pool of her blood on the Has floor. Her, the number inscribed on her to 20 out of 21. Yep. So very close to the end, it seems. But when you arrive at the hospital world, you go through each room here and there and you find like x-rays of Eileen and apparently maybe she's alive. So you're trying to find out what happened to her. Eventually you do discover her in a bed. She's beaten up. One of her arms is broken. She's got her eye patched over. But she's able to walk, and she follows you. And so the rest of the game becomes kind of an escort mission. Mm-hmm. 
Now, this is also at this point where the apartment in the real world starts to become truly haunted, right? Certain areas of the apartment, if you visit it, it starts to actually damage you instead of healing you up. And really? So what parts? So it's it's where, if you go over to where the save place is. Mm-hmm. Is that you, where the books are, like the couch and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start to, kind of like when you encounter a ghost in the game, they don't it's like do the anything. Static and, it's the static yeah. and you take just passive damage. Yeah, same uh, sort of deal. Wow. Yeah, yeah, kind of sucks. <laughs> but you are able to actually purify the apartment uh, via that's some sort of means. Yeah, 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 I think it's through the candles. And uh, that's actually re- related to some of the endings, which mm-hmm. we'll cover in just a little bit. Now, this is where we're just going to be treading over all of the previous worlds because we need to uncover more of the mystery surrounding the the Order and how Walter Sullivan's connected. Uh, You learn about a strange couple who lived in the room 302 before Joseph and you did. And according to the diary entries from the superintendent of the apartment complex, they lived there and then one day they up and just disappeared, but they left their newborn baby boy. Aha, and the baby boy. Umbilical cord and all. Umbilical cord and all, which is really strange. Very absurd. Like, what? And apparently the superintendent also took that umbilical cord and decided to keep it. He He knew that there was something. (laughs) He felt compelled to keep it. Couldn't get rid of it for some reason. Very strange. So uh, the boy was taken to the Silent Hill Orphanage after the hospital and would grow up to then uh, learn the cult's teachings there at the orphanage. And he was obsessed with his mother. He wanted to see his mother, even though he, you know, he was abandoned by her. So he learned that through the cult, if you performed what was called the Twenty One Sacraments. Oh, and also a yeah. note: he um, he was told that his mother was, or he was born in room three hundred two. Right. Yes. So he just understood that to be that room three hundred two is where he was born from, like the room is his mother. Right. Exactly. And yes. not actual person. So the whole time he's just been trying to get into this room, and he's just like banging on the door, "Mom, mom, let me in." Right. And he's not he's not able to get in because he's you know his parents aren't there and everything. So great point. He just really wants to see his mother. Exactly. So basically, this child Walter that we've been seeing walking around at the crime scenes and stuff, not quite the same as the adult Walter Sullivan in the real world who had supposedly killed himself years ago. He became, I think, victim number eleven of the twenty-one by killing himself. Uh, who did? Walter, the adult Walter, when he took his life. Oh. He was considered number eleven. Okay, I didn't didn't catch that. Yeah, weird stuff. We do learn that at a point, though, there is a copycat killer that begins murdering with Walter's M.O. years after his death, and this is when Joseph, the journalist, goes to visit the grave of Walter. But when he visits the grave in Silent Hill, the body is missing. Now, in the game part of it, when you're playing, you start to see Walter appearing as an undead and he's haunting you through the different worlds. He's firing guns at you throughout, trying to stop you, I, I imagine, from mm-hmm. interrupting his uh, completion of the 21 Sacraments ritual so that he can finally see his mother. At one point near the end of the game, you find the ghost of Joseph, and he tells you that you have to kill Walter to bring the end to it. Of course, sounds very very typical game. You have to kill him and save the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so back in the real world, you take an axe to a portion of your bedroom, and you uncover the actual body of Walter Sullivan chained to a pipe, dead. And in his coat pocket is finally the set of keys, that, literally keys of liberation, that they're called. You open it up. You finally get through them. Yep. So I guess assume that he... he blocked off this part of the apartment or like you know built it and kept himself in there dead the entire time which is yep. kind of creepy to think about like right behind oh that explains why that part of the wall was like getting infested in a way because on the other side of that was where 
yeah, it's just creepy to think about. It's like this entire time you've been living there, the past decades or so, there's, there's been a dead guy chained yep. up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like yeah. Right next to you. Right next to your bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. <laughs> so you open up the room from 302 now that you've liberated yourself with the keys, and yet the real world is basically the same hell world that you've yeah. been in. You see just flush walls, with things crawling on it, and yeah. Creatures so. everywhere. Yeah, same thing. So in time, you go through your apartment building, you find the superintendent's uh, apartment, Frank Sunderland's apartment, and you grab his umbilical cord that he had uh, taken from the Walter child many, many, many moons ago. And at that point, you have this really intense headache, but Eileen, who's been with you this whole time, she says that she needs to leave to help that little boy. How she's going to do that, especially beat up as she is, who knows? But... You go and follow after her, and you finally have your showdown with the adult Walter. Now, Eileen is possessed at this point. She's about to walk into, like, a pool of blood and drown herself to become, you know, the true 20th victim because she wasn't killed originally. And you are intended to be victim 21, thereby finishing the ritual. So you take out Walter after plunging, like, a bunch of spears into this giant, scary, white beast thing. What was that supposed to be? The Beast? Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty terrifying. Like, they did a pretty yeah. good job on that, like, with a lot how he's kind of emerging. Maybe it's him, like, emerging out of his mother's womb again. I don't know. That could be. Could be interpretation. <laughs> That's true. The spears that were plunged into, like, the bodies, though, that was very, um, what's it called? Are they all like, to the sacrifices they were plunged into? There were eight of them total. Oh, okay. So, yeah, there was four that was supposed to represent the four plates that you got, right? Like, Temptation, Chaos, yeah. Source, oh, yeah, and... Yeah. And all that. And then the other four, I forget what they were supposed to be, like Gloom. Oh, I think they were the the victims that came after Walter. Um, Passed away? Yeah, because okay. it was like Gloom, Despair, and something else that they were supposed to represent. But you grab all those, you plunge them into the Beast. Beast is basically like falls over, kind of like uh, hunched over. Yeah. And now you're able to actually damage Walter himself. So... You are timed, though, during the sequence because uh, Eileen keeps inching herself closer to drowning. So this is where we get four different endings to the game. Now, first off, the ways that you get the endings, they depend on whether or not Eileen dies, whether or not she drowns herself in the pool of blood, and also what is the condition of the, the apartment, of Henry's apartment by the end of the game, because like we mentioned, it's haunted. So first ending, worst ending of them all. Eileen dies, and you have not done much to your apartment. It is basically the most haunted ever. You get the 21 Sacraments ending, which is where Eileen is dead. Walter is dead as well, because you do defeat him in order to trigger the ending. Mm. But then it cuts over to the apartment, and inside of the apartment, all it looks kind of terrible inside as usual. And you hear a radio broadcast saying that the, a series of bodies were found near Silent Hill, couple of which were Eileen Galvin and Henry Townsend, which is you, among others. So So that means that you're ghost haunting the apartment? Yeah, I think so. I think that's what it would be. Everyone dies, basically. Everyone dies in that ending. Ending and well, I guess then also maybe the the sacraments was was fulfilled. Ending two is where Eileen dies, but you did deal with your room during the course of the game. So you hear at the end, same sort of deal pretty much, but on the radio, when you Henry reach uh, your apartment, you hear on the radio the five people were found dead near Silent Hill, one of which was Eileen, and then you, as Henry, fall to the floor, crumpled over, and just cry, basically. Right? You grieve over the loss because you weren't able to save her. The third ending, my favorite, is Mother, 
which is where you've saved Eileen, but you did not take care of the hauntings in your apartment. Now, this is where, at the end of it, you defeat Walter. You and Eileen are able to get away. You go and visit Eileen in the hospital with some flowers. She's very happy to see you. It's all like, oh, yay, everything is good. Yay. And then she says, all right, I think this, uh, I guess we're going to have to return to South Ashfield now, right? The apartment complex. And so it cuts to the inside of the room 302 that you've lived in, and it is looking absolutely worse than ever before. This is the most haunted place imaginable. Like, there's, oh, it's so bad. So, yeah, even though they got away and survived, now they have to go back to that. Oof. I don't know why you'd have to. I mean, I would just be like, hell no, I'm going, I'm I'm moving out, sorry. <laughs> or real. do you want to move with me? Because, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not living where this this guy just, like, hung himself up, like, the next wall across from me. Yeah, like, no I way. Can't just get over that. No. <laughs> Silly people. Silly video game characters. <laughs> and then the final ending, which is the good ending, is the escape. So you did save Eileen. You go to visit her in the hospital, same way. You give her flowers, same thing. And now she says, I guess we have to find a new place to live. <laughs> and then that's it. It's too good. It's a little too, yeah, too goody. It's unsatisfying. No, yeah. So we will talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. Let's cut to some music, and then let's also do the giveaway. So please call in now, 949-824-5824, 949-UCI-KUCI, if you would like to win our Super Pyramid Head t-shirt giveaway slash uh, Super Pyramid Head sticker giveaway. Whichever one you prefer will go to you. I'll have it shipped straight to your doorstep. Don't have to go anywhere. Just call in, 949-UCI-KUCI now. All right, next song we're going to listen to is Confinement by... Actually, no, let's listen to Cradle of Forest, which is a little bit of a longer one, but it's got a different vocalist than Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. It's got a Joe Ron in there. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you for listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Marmar the Midboss here with Alex, and we are Lag Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to Lag Radio here with me, Marmar the Midboss, and Alex. We are discussing Silent Hill for The Room, finishing up the show with some wonderful tracks. Most recently was Cradle of Forest from Akira Yamaoka featuring Joe Rome. And also a big thank you and congratulations to the winner of tonight's giveaway. The winner being Steve out of Cosa Mesa. He decided to go with the Super Pyramid Head t-shirt. So we're going to be shipping that to him straight to his doorstep in the next couple of days. So congrats. Thank you very, very much for listening. And of course, stay tuned for future weeks where we will be doing a giveaway every single week. Continue to do so. So we've talked about the game's story now. We're going to discuss the soundtrack and gameplay and everything else involved. So first off, soundtrack. Holy crap. Akira Yamaoka. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. His name is iconic with the Silent Hill franchise because he went from being just the composer to the sound designer to the producer. He basically the game is almost like his yeah. more than anyone else in a lot of ways. And it his really work is, is yeah. like I can't think of any other horror game that does better music because yeah. like it's not just like oh some horror games will just do no music and it's just the sounds uh, which he does. Does he do the sound design or yeah? Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but then there's just a lot of just the like ambient eerie elements that will just like enhances like almost kind of a ambient industrial music where it just it's like gives you this feeling of an impending doom he just does a really good job of of all those songs it is it's brilliant yeah all the industrial feels and all the the metal grinding and yeah. how it, it changes if you're using headphones it changes in your ear from one side to the next and how that's it's very mixed. disorienting it's yeah disorienting is a good word very experimental i like how the songs like this soundtrack i've been listening to for over a decade easy um and 
I can just listen to it without thinking about the game or anything. Like if without sp- strictly wanting to listen to like a horror game soundtrack, if I just wanted to listen to a good soundtrack, yeah, that's the thing that makes it unique stuff. is that a lot of horror, like you can't really think of, Oh, what horror game soundtrack do I, I'm going to listen to? But with this one, it's actually good. Like on its own. Right. Exactly. A lot of focus on sounds that are inhuman, very abstract sort of human moans and gurglings. That's something you would never really hear in, Screams in a real life. And like reverb. Screams, and, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just creepy sounds. And white like, noise. Really good, really good Halloween soundtrack, we'll say. Yeah. Starting off the, the Halloween month with that. But True. if you want to play some good creepy music for your home, when people come to Trick or Treat, then nothing better than Akira Yamaoka. Yeah, best of real. Akira Yamaoka. <laughs> best of. <laughs> <laughs> not including his Bomani work, right? Yeah, that's, say, not, his, not his, uh, his, his DDR music or <laughs> B-Mania music. For that sure. A little bit more sure. rocky. Probably one of my favorite parts of the soundtrack, not... Not necessarily strictly the soundtrack, but part of the in-game kind of pieces was during the building world section where you've got, because it's a giant apartment sort of complex thing, and you've got this beautiful kind of cacophony of sounds that you would expect from like a very busy populated urban building complex, but it's just heightened to like the 11th, you know, go to 11 sort of thing. It's so intense. Yeah. This does a really good job of of the atmosphere of uh, Silent Hill games and making you feel anxious and and dis- disoriented and everything, yeah. And Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, whose voice is just so gorgeous and, and haunting, perfect for a lot of these songs. She works with Akira Yamoka on a lot of Does the soundtracks. Does she work on the music for the third one too? She was featured on quite a few tracks for the third one okay. and the second one, I think, and the movies and the future wow. games. Like She's been in almost all of them, I think. Uh, yeah, she does wonderful work as well. She's she was also interestingly she was in charge of the dub for the anime Wolf's Rain, because oh. she also did some of the songs in there too, I believe. Or she was a, maybe she was one of the the voice actors. I think that was it. She was one of the main voice actors. But yeah, Wolf's Rain from the same company I think that did uh, Cowboy Bebop. But yeah, soundtrack going to be a great highlight for this game. Now let's talk about the gameplay though, because that's very important. Duh, mm-hmm. playing a video game. We've got this third-person sort of aspect. There's a lot of backtracking, a lot of exploring, wandering, a lot of puzzles. What did you think about the combat? What did it seem to you? What could you figure, or it what seemed, you know from first? It Silent seems Hill. similar to to uh, the, like the first Silent Hill, mm-hmm. where it's just kind of clunky, but per- mm-hmm. I feel purposefully because it makes it even scarier to play. However, it looked like the controls were not tankish in the way that um, the first Silent Hill. I was talking to Marmar um, earlier that what made that the camera angles really work well because that's another thing that's that's worth mentioning is the camera angles are very i would say lynch-esque where it's like very almost like security camera like very strange angles like right above them or like purposefully blocking out certain areas so they kind of sneak up on you and not and give you a sense of unease um and so the tank controls worked a lot better back in silent hill one because what i mean by that is you rotate by pressing left or right this is before analog sticks but Rotate by pressing left or right, and then forward just makes you go forward, no matter what way you're going. Um, so that makes it so the camera angles can work. But uh, it sounds like this one's kind of free roaming. You can use the analog stick to um, to kind of go wherever you want, and when the camera angles change, it sticks with whatever location or what direction you were going until you change it, which seems like a good compromise to me. It's a good point to bring up the, the probably purposefully clunky controls, because that was one of the arguments for Shadow of the Colossus as well, which also had kind of... a iffy 
controls i think a lot mm-hmm. of people weren't too big of fans of i guess I, i'm more forgiving to games like silent hill just because it adds to the the stress <laughs> sure <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah i don't have a handle on this i need to just kind of like what you would be in that situation if you saw a demon coming at you and it's like okay how do i operate this this gun you know oh yeah oh yeah so i it's i guess to me it's more forgiving more forgiving than like a, a action adventure game that would be very frustrating if you had to stumble over the controls definitely that's well, something that was frustrating for me was the frame rate drops that were that i encountered when mm. there were multiple enemies on the screen or there was a lot of fog in the silent hill sort of portions uh yeah that sort of thing was like oh no it hurts so yeah. much because you want to like you want to get away or you want to beat them up faster and kill the enemies but you were not able to because frame rate sometimes mm. Um, now the inventory system. That one, yeah. Was it like eight or so you can carry at a time? I want to say it was maybe closer going to back 10. to Earthbound again. It is like Just Earthbound like... <laughs> again. Yeah, it's like almost as scary as the rest of the game. <laughs> uh, yeah, you had very limited inventory, and you needed to kind of just like work around because it combined it with some of the puzzly things that you needed to work with too. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. just like in Earthbound, the key items are also part of the same inventory, so that <sighs> makes it super frustrating. You have to keep going back, either dropping something, going back, or oh, sorry. That's one of the options. Or the other option is going back through the hole, going back to your apartment, storing your thing, going back through the hole, finding the spot, which is just a lot of backtracking. It was. That's that's something that I don't think was purposefully done no. to make it like frustrating. So no. that's something that I'm definitely going to say is a sticking point that I'm not a big fan of. Yeah, I but, agree. Uh, now, the map system, you do have a map, kind of. You bring up the triangle button on the PlayStation controller, and it brings up a map. And it shows you where you've gone through so far. It slowly reveals itself. You get to see blocked doors um, as red lines and, and whatnot. I thought it was okay. I think generally the map system was all right. And it does show where you are currently on the map. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just like, here's a map, gets the guess job where done. you are. It gets the job done. Now, there is no HUD except for when you're in combat. So a lot of the times I think this enhances the uh, oh, yeah. horror elements. Yeah, the immersion. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. But one thing that did bother me was that during the, the combat... In, parts where there is a HUD partially you don't get to see how many bullets you've got in your gun oh yeah you have to count them gotta count them or bring up the inventory in the midst of combat which is kind of challenging too which maybe we could argue that that's a little bit more purposefully done yeah too. exactly you mean the the uh the bullets count and the the bullet count and the yeah, i think the bullet count inventory. would make sense it's like okay you wouldn't you wouldn't have like this helpful thing when you're actually in that position. But. Sure, sure. You would be, yeah, scrambling and everything. You have to count how many bullets you got. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the puzzles, though? Um, I'm trying to think of them. A lot of them were just remembering key codes and um, what one was putting a doll back together to get back to get into uh, a hole or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of fetch quest stuff. I mean, it was didn't it was really right. add to the whole lore. I guess it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was just some busy work. It seemed like that to me. Yeah, it was kind of tedious, in my opinion. It's there like were, they yeah. knew like Silent Hill had puzzle elements, and they had to force them in somehow. But it just didn't really seem to work well in this one. So it wasn't so great. Yeah. It wasn't so great. It was very difficult to see some items too, just mm-hmm. like randomly thrown about. They're not really that shiny, especially in the darker areas, like in the forest yeah. world. Just very difficult to pick up some of that stuff. But yeah, the environments are quite muddy, and sometimes I think that that's very useful when you're portraying the Silent Hill world. Mm -hmm. But other times, it kind of makes it very difficult to play. And then with also the camera's weirdo control scheme where you're seeing it from certain angles, but if you hit the L2 button, then you get to see behind Henry's head sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes it'll change it. So you're kind of constantly like, run L2, see if it changes it, run L2, see if it changes it, so you can see more of the field. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm not a huge fan of that either. The camera was tricky in a way that you had to like mm, wrestle with the camera 
yeah, it was kind of wrestling. And you can't wrestle with it in the same way that other games force you to wrestle with it, which is with the right analog stick. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't do anything in the game. So, yeah, not a big fan of that either. Escorting Eileen through the second half of the game. Oh, my oh, gosh. Oh, not escort missions. You can't just you can't speed run this game easily. You, no. You go run to the door, and it's like, you can't leave Eileen here. And so you're just like, okay, go back to have her, like, slowly get up to you. I mean, she's she's hurting. She's dying, but... It's like Walk it's it just off. yeah. <laughs> it gets when something gets irritating, like in terms of gameplay, and you just like it, you kind of lose the aspect of it. Yeah, I think you're doing stuff and something wrong. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was pretty interesting that like throughout the game, as you got closer to the end, she her skin changed and like sure. started pulsing and like looking really nasty and stuff. Right, right, right. I like definitely. that element. Now I will say that despite all these gripes, the atmosphere, the ambiance, generally how scary this game is, I would give it an eight out of ten only because. The graphics are pretty dated because it's a PS2 game. Yeah. But it's it's legitimately scary sometimes. I had to stop. I had to, like, pause the game, walk away for a moment. I had to play in, like, lights, very lit room, open sort of room. Uh, yeah, it's intense. Playing it at, at night, midnight, or 2 a.m. or something, I did the first time I was yeah. started. Oof. I remember when I first played Silent Hill, like, 10 years ago, and I had to play it in, in dark. And it was, yeah, it, cause, because a lot of... This one spot, which I don't know if they had any spots like this in uh, in this Silent Hill, but you like are in the school and you have a flashlight and you can only see so far in front of you. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a a way to disguise that they didn't want to use so much game power or processing power, sure. so they like could change the draw distance. But it added so much and it just made it really creepy because you can only see so far in front of you. So you see this this figure coming or whatever or you can turn the light off and it's just pitch black and it is done so effectively where you just feel like oh crap like it's it's like you're in real life and you're in a room that has no light sure i guess they didn't really have a flashlight system in this one no yeah so it didn't really have that element but yeah in terms of like yeah atmosphere and and stuff like playing at night is definitely what you want to do the preferred way yeah if you want to get through this game (laughs) with the bright way so i think overall i'm when i'm just going to kind of sum up my thoughts i think generally it's a great game story-wise, yeah. atmosphere-wise, soundtrack-wise, I would have liked to have experienced this probably as a different sort of media. I Yeah, I agree. Um, I think as as of now, since a lot of um, Polygon-esque games don't gauge well, I feel like it's one of those things where I wish I had experienced it at the time Yeah, because I probably would have would have been blown away. Like sure. The graphics would have been awesome, but now it just it doesn't look that good. And it's a bummer because the story is great. And it, I agree that it would have been better in a, as a different medium and, and not uh, not as, at least as a, a, a survival action game. Sure. Now, do you feel like the voice acting is something that you would have <laughs> been able to pick up on as a younger, a younger Alex? I don't know. Because it was pretty... It was it was ba- it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad in some parts, uh, <laughs> but but I think I feel like again we have that contrast of seeing how much better games can be in terms of voice acting. So we yeah. have that comparison. I honestly don't know. I don't yeah. know if I would have been like, oh, this is bad at the time, or if it's just like, oh, this is bad because a lot of PlayStation and PlayStation Two games had some pretty bad voice acting. <laughs> True that. True that. All right, so that's going to finish up the show for this evening. Thank you very very much for listening to Lag Radio here with me, Marmar the Mid Boss, and Alex. Next week, we're going to be covering Luigi's Mansion for the GameCube. Very, very different type of horror game. Not exactly Mm. horror so much, but spooky. It's a spooky game. It's a spooky game, and it's got a very good soundtrack, I hear. So I'm very excited to play it for you folks. Is that your Uh, first soundtrack with the... 
I can't remember his name now. Yes, I think it is actually. Okay. Yes, I'm excited for it. Uh, good stuff. Tanaka. So join us next week for Luigi's Mansion. We're going to have a special guest we haven't seen in a couple weeks as well, Mr. Sparty, Spar Spar of uh, Indie Gladiator. He's going to join us. And yeah, big congrats again to Steve out of Costa Mesa for winning the Lag Radio giveaway of the week for the Super Pyramid Head shirt. Don't go anywhere. Riders of the Plastic Groove is on next for the next two hours. So stick with us for till 10 o'clock. And enjoy the last song of the night, Room of Angel, which is another Akira Yamoka and Mary Elizabeth McGlynn beautiful track. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>